Welcome back to another episode of the Love in a Cottage podcast. I'm your host, Paige Geidel, and I am so stoked that you found us. We are a community of creative Christian women in their 20s, and you are invited to be a part of it. Each week, I invite a guest on the show to chat about all things marriage, motherhood, homemaking, small business, and following Jesus. My friend, there is a seat here for you at the table, and I so hope that you choose to be a part of this community. Without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Love in a Cottage podcast. It's kind of funny because today I am actually not interviewing anyone and so I was thinking about this intro and I was like, I wonder how exactly I'm going to share because today's episode is a solo show where I'm going to be sharing the birth story of my oldest daughter, Flora. And next week, I'm actually going to be sharing another birth story. My second daughter, Juliet, was born in September of this year. And so I will be sharing her birth story then. And I just love both of their birth stories because they're so different from each other. But the Lord has taught me so much through both of them. Really, they could not be more different. But I have found so much healing and growth through both of their stories. And I can't wait to share them with you guys. I do just want to add that if you have experienced any medical trauma, birth trauma, this might not be the episode for you to listen to. I say that because I know that before I went through therapy to heal from my birth trauma and process through a lot of that, it would be really triggering and hard for me to listen to other women share their birth stories or also some NICU stories because I will be talking about my daughter's time in the NICU as well as my C-section experience. So if that is not something that you feel comfortable or like would be beneficial for you to listen today, then feel free to skip today's episode and maybe come back to it in the future but I just wanted to give you that heads up. Okay, so I'm going to start Flora's birth story off by just kind of giving you a little bit of backstory on us getting pregnant. So we found out that we were pregnant in August of 2019. So we were eight months into marriage and we had literally just moved back to Southern California. We had spent our first couple months of marriage living in London And then we spent the summer in Kansas with our families. And then we were back in Southern California because I had to finish one last semester of school. And then John was starting his master's program. And I also had endometriosis. So I had started off our marriage on birth control because we honestly, I have a lot to say about that, (laughs) but we started off on birth control and it was not great for my mental health at all. It was very, very damaging for me personally. And so I got off of birth control a few months after I got on in February of 2019. Um, and then we were just doing natural natural family planning, which worked really well for us. We loved it. Um, I used a daisy which takes your temperature every morning now I have an Ava bracelet because honestly it's just a little bit more low maintenance and then I just also track my cervical mucus there are a lot of ways to do it if you are new to natural family planning but we really loved it and I really enjoyed 
becoming aware of my body at different times of the month and just felt like, yeah, really equipped to handle that. And John was really supportive as well. And so it's kind of funny because a lot of people know that we do natural family planning because I've talked about it a little bit before on Instagram and they're kind of like, oh, so it doesn't work (laughs) because we have two kids that we've had within less than two years. But we're like, no, it works. It works great for us. And I think it can feel kind of scary and like out of your control when you choose natural family planning as opposed to using a form of birth control. But I actually feel like we are more in control Um, And obviously the Lord is in control, but I have found, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we felt a lot more like confident and at peace in just kind of knowing what my body is doing and being able to make decisions about when we are trying to conceive in those situations. So anyways, we got pregnant in July of 2019 uh, and it was really in like April of that year that we decided, you know what, I know that I have endometriosis. It took many of the women in my family, including my mom and my maternal grandma, many years to get pregnant. And we just want to know if that is going to be our story too. And to be totally honest, I pretty much thought infertility was going to be my story Uh, from the time of like 13 years old onward. Like I got my period at age 12 and just thought, okay, I know it took my mom a long time to get pregnant and just really kind of thought that would be our story. And I just want to say if that's you, if you are walking through infertility, I am so sorry. And while that is not something I have personally dealt with, I have had many conversations with my mom about what that season of her life was like. And that's part of the reason why I am an only child is because they tried for so long, didn't think that they would, and then um, couldn't get pregnant afterwards. And so when we got pregnant a couple months in without even timing it, we basically just weren't preventing it. We weren't tracking anything. We were absolutely shocked. We were so excited, but I think there was a small part of us that said, you know, we we won't prevent it. And we thought maybe it would take, you know, at least a couple more months. And so we were so thrilled, but we also, yeah, we're just entering another semester of school and the plan was originally for me to work full-time after graduating that December to help support John while he was finishing and and going through his two-year full-time master's program and our plans ended up changing with that but that did cause you know quite a bit of shock at first as we were like okay logistically and financially how are we going to do this but Obviously, the Lord has provided, and we are just so thankful um, that we have Flora, and now we have Juliet, and the timing has been perfect for our family, even though it's been challenging. So, that was kind of broad, but back to Flora's birth story. So, it's funny because I've always been pretty, like, I don't know if you've heard the term crunchy, but I use that as to describe, I guess, holistic or just very natural, even more so... Um, like in high school and then it's just progressed more and more and more and so our family does things pretty holistically but I really did not know much about birth at all. I don't have any siblings and John's 
older brother and his wife were pregnant. No, they had already had my nephew. Um, and they had like a traditional OB and really had a positive experience there. And yeah, I really just don't feel like I researched much about the healthcare system. And I really just wasn't familiar with how common interventions are and can be um, in hospital settings and while I think it is so amazing to have obviously maternity units and and doctors and nurses who are capable to intervene when necessary I think it happens way too often and personally I think that potentially might have been the case in my story so I It's funny, I thought to myself, like, I would love to have a home birth with a midwife. I'll have that in the future. Like, I don't know why I really didn't look into it. I just thought, I'll have a natural unmedicated birth. Like, I knew that's what I wanted. I was very set on that. But I thought, I'll just have one with an OB. And so, found an OB who was in our uh, insurance plan and went and liked her pretty well. I mean, I think... Again, you just don't really know what to expect when it's your first baby and especially if you don't have siblings or friends who have walked through pregnancies before, you're kind of just figuring it out as you go. And so I liked her, John liked her, it was going well. I was 20 years old at the time and very healthy and there were no warning signs that anything would be wrong. And around 29 weeks, my doctor was measuring what's called my fundal height. So she had me laying down on the table and just had a tape measure. It sounds so funny, but it's it's a practice that they've been using for a very long time is my understanding to measure how the baby's measuring. And so theoretically, which I really dislike this measurement because every woman's body and every baby is so different, but theoretically, if you're laying down, then the tape measure should read, I don't know if it's inches or centimeters, that's kind of embarrassing, but it's like 29 inches, let's say, if you're 29 weeks, which again is so subjective, but I was measuring small, like four-ish weeks small, and so she said, you know what, I'm going to send you to the perinatologist who is a specialist, and he's just kind of going to check things out, and I think part of me Like, part of us was a little nervous. Obviously, no one wants to hear, like, oh, yeah, you're pregnant. Like, let's send you to the specialist. But also, I'm just kind of a small person, and my husband is pretty thin. And so, we're thinking, like, oh, we just have a small baby. And we met with him, and everything was looking, honestly, pretty fine. He was like, yeah, I get that they're just wanting to be extra cautious. We'll just have you come in twice a week for what's called NSTs. I believe it stands for non-stress test, but yeah, basically I would go and they would just like check the baby's heart rate for like 20 minutes. I would sit in this chair and I would go. So at 35 weeks, I went in for a standard NST and they did an ultrasound because I had also been told at that first meeting with the specialist that I had low amniotic fluid, which is called oligohydrominose, I believe is how you pronounce it. And like it was super, super low. So they just told me to drink more water. So then I was drinking like over a gallon of water a day and everything was fine. But on this particular day, 
at 35 weeks, I went in and my fluids were at like one centimeter, barely any. And obviously that's not good. And so they said, you know what, we're going to send you upstairs for monitoring. And it is so crazy because I had actually filled out the hospital like registration paperwork and brought it with me that day. I just like had a weird feeling like I just want to be prepared just in case. But John had, I think, been like working out or something and, and met up with me for this appointment. And I remember when they said, we'll send you upstairs for observation because I don't think I mentioned this yet. She was also breech and I had known she was breech, but I was like, again, just kind of uh, naive, I guess. And, and I don't mean that to sound bad, but I just didn't really know what to expect and what some of the repercussions could be of certain things. And so I was like, you know what? I'm 35 weeks. Like I have plenty of time to turn her, but obviously her being breech combined with the low fluid, like there wasn't much room, like she couldn't really turn. And so I was told that they would send me upstairs for observation and if they determined that she needed to be born, that it would have to be a C-section. And I was devastated, but I was so excited because they were telling me like, she's going to be born in the next 24 hours basically. And so while I was mourning as much as I could process, like, uh, a C-section, what? Like, I literally never considered that possibility. I also was just so stoked. I was like, we get to meet our baby. Again, also had no clue, like, what some of the complications could be of having a baby that early. I know there are many women who have had their babies before 35 weeks, but I just did not know. So we were excited. We were like shocked. We had absolutely nothing with us. Like we thought it was just a regular appointment. So I went upstairs and they gave me a steroid and started me on IVs. The steroid was to develop her lungs or that's what they told me. I don't know, to support her lungs in case she was born again that early. And then the IV was to get some liquid in me and they were going to see if that increased my amniotic fluid at all um and if it did then they would maybe just like monitor me but 24 hours goes by and my fluids are exactly the same and yet nothing's changed so they are basically like well because her heart rate has been fine this whole time and your fluids have not increased we want to keep monitoring you so you will just be here on bed rest for at least two more weeks <laughs> except except if her heart rate drops then we will do an emergency c-section <laughs> i was like cool actually that's not how i responded okay i was a mess because I had been told like you're gonna meet your baby in the next 24 hours and I felt really healthy like oh I'm so sad that it's a c-section but I'm so excited to meet her and then all of a sudden they were like no you're gonna like you can't leave you can't go home and do all the things that you were thinking you would be able to do before she comes because that's not safe enough but you know you have to be here on bed rest it was just crazy it was so shocking to me 
I had never considered, again, having a C-section, let alone bed rest. What? And like, I did not have any of my stuff with me. John is still very much in grad school. And all this happened the week that the World Health Organization announced officially, officially like COVID-19 is officially a pandemic. Like this was the week of March 8th or 11th or something like that when schools were shutting down. So not only were we really in like the hardest season ever and it was a total surprise, but everyone else's lives were just kind of imploding. And so even our parents had originally planned on coming out whenever Flora would be born and they were trying to decide if they should come out now to support us but this was like the time if you guys remember where toilet paper was completely out of stock and people were thinking like okay if you leave the house like you're gonna get COVID and that's it um so it was a very odd scary time and I wish I could say that this was a time where I just drew close to the Lord and I just leaned on him and I learned so much and I was so transformed. But honestly, guys, that is not this story. It was hard and I really feel like I did not, I don't know, I was not in a place where I wanted encouragement. I remember my pastor called me and was trying to talk to me about things and pray with me. And I just kept saying, but, but, but like, I just could not be receptive to what, how the Lord wanted to meet me. And I remember like writing a letter. I was trying to process through writing. And so I wrote a letter to God and there were so many cuss words, which is not at all how I talk in daily life. Like, ever and John my husband read it and was like wow I have never seen anything like that before and honestly I think that was really hard too because he was um sleeping on this like couch I they put me in the high risk uh little section of the the maternity floor And we're like eating hospital food every day. He's like doing class online. I mean, that was one nice thing about everything with COVID happening right at the same time because all his classes switched online. But yeah, he's like trying to do homework and also take care of his, you know, pregnant, very distressed wife. And he, he was a saint. It was a really hard time. And so, yeah, I just, I wish that I could have, like leaned into the Lord and and asked him like what do you want to teach me transform my heart and really even just gone to him with that sadness and with that frustration more um just talk to him and I really did not want to and that really grieves me I've, I've processed that more and more I feel like this is honestly probably the first time I'm able to tell the story that is a way that that still feels like honest and truthful but isn't like full of just bitter emotion and that is totally due to the work of Jesus and my therapist (laughs) but anyway so that was a long very uh very long two weeks I had good friends who visited me when they could but then they closed off visitors which was hard because things were shutting down with COVID and I had lots of people texting me and checking in and I'm so appreciative of that. 
So 37 weeks rolls around and I don't know why they didn't have me go beyond that. I think she wasn't growing a ton and again my fluids never rose. Um, Oh yeah, speaking into that, so they checked to see if my water had like broken and they didn't think so. Part of what was so frustrating about this two weeks was that they literally never figured it out. Like probably three or four days into staying at the hospital, they basically said like, we don't know why this is happening and so you're just going to stay here. And that was so hard to hear because I was like, y'all are the experts. Like, what do you mean you don't know? And that was just so discouraging for me. I will also say part of what I think just made this whole time hard being on bed rest and then eventually in the NICU, which I'll talk about here in a second, was if you have ever stayed in the hospital for any period of time, you know that nurses are on a 12-hour shift and so you're just getting new nurses what feels like constantly and so I had some nurses that I was really good friends with who I had often and who were just sweet and kind and understanding and like I know this is hard I know this isn't in your plan and like you know we're just so glad that we're able to take care of you and your baby girl and then I had some nurses who were not so empathetic and that was just really hard when I was in such a a challenging place and I just have so much respect for nurses and all the things that they have to do you know I was like why are you bringing me food like I feel like someone else should do that I feel like your job is you know so all-encompassing and um I saw yeah really how how much they had to do to take care of so many women but I think just emotionally it was hard to navigate that and again some were more accommodating and like would let John cuddle me in bed and then some would be like he's not allowed to be in there and that was just so hard and having someone come in and like take your temperature and your blood pressure and never knowing when they were coming in and just being in such a sterile environment I like had my diffuser but it still did not feel super cozy and homey for again a long time So, yeah, 37 weeks rolls around. They scheduled the C-section, and I had Flora uh, around 945, 946. I have her written down, but I had her in the evening, and I was really honestly nervous. I had not ever really looked into C-sections. I had no idea what the recovery was like. And I remember being so scared because they wouldn't let John come back with me whenever I got my epidural. And honestly, I had great nurses there. She actually was a believer and we were able to talk. And she, I don't remember she prayed for me, but she was just being really sweet. And I did have, um, they did let me bring my phone into the OR to listen to music and John brought a camera, but they didn't have like a, they had like a sheet covering me. Some, some hospitals are really accommodating with what they call like gentle C-section. So there are certain, I guess, requests that you can make to make it feel less sterile if it's not an emergency C-section. And I feel like at the time I did the best with what I knew and asked the questions that I knew to ask so again having music was so helpful and John being able to bring a camera was cool um 
it was so cold. It was so cold. I wish I would have requested more like warm towels because I remember my whole upper body just like shivering so much. Um, but it was still beautiful in its own way because there was so much anticipation and we finally got to meet her. Um, so John like took a couple pictures and then the nurses took some pictures too using my camera, but I really did not, again, know what type of questions to ask. I I didn't know anything about this, like, what they call the golden hour, which is the first, like, hour or couple hours right after baby's born where you're just getting good, good skin to skin. It's so good for baby. It's so good for mom and her hormones. And so I remember they had her on my chest for, you know, maybe two minutes, maybe. And then they took her out with John and they finished stitching me up, which was fine. But then they took me into a recovery room where they said that I would, yeah, just kind of like let the anesthesia wear off. So my husband and Flora are in the nursery area and I remember just sitting there being conscious because they didn't put me out all the way and kind of wondering like when am I gonna go you know the nurses are like eating Taco Bell and talking about the bachelor and finally after what seemed like forever which later I found out was two and a half hours I said hey can can I go see them and a nurse is like oh yeah let me call the nursery calls and is like yeah we'll wheel you up and now that that still just really breaks my heart because that was such a crucial time and while again I do believe that Flora and I have a special bond my postpartum experience was very hard and attachment was very very hard for me and I still just grieve that we did not get that time together especially because there were no complications and there really was no reason why that shouldn't have happened um if there were no health problems for me or for her. It was really just a lack of communication on some nurses' parts. And so that is still something that makes me sad, even though I'm I'm a lot less, again, like bitter and angry. It still makes me sad that that is what unfortunately happened. And so we move all of our things from the high-risk room to the postpartum unit and I'm feeling super groggy. I'm feeling super tired. Flora's feeling super tired and groggy. She was only born at like five pounds, five ounces and so we also again just had no idea like this is our first baby. We're fully relying on nurses to like help us. So I'm sleeping, Flora's sleeping, and John is just awake, like holding her, just like having the best time ever, being a dad, and she doesn't eat. And I'm at this point on Pitocin to help my uterus contract back down and some pretty strong pain meds, and Flora doesn't eat. I I remember kind of being a little anxious or like unsure, like when should she breastfeed? I'm not sure. And... Yeah, but just being told by the nurse, like, yeah, it's fine, just, like, rest, and so I do, and, you know, before I know it, it's, like, the morning comes, and she hasn't breastfed, and I think the nurse 
honestly, this is all kind of a blur, but the nurse asks me like, you know, do you want to try breastfeeding? I try, but Flora's again, super sleepy. Then we tried, um, getting a little bit of colostrum like onto our finger and giving it to her. She wasn't really taking that. And they're like, you know what? We're going to check her blood sugar. And honestly, I don't remember what the number was, but it was low enough that they whisked her away and they're like, her blood sugar is so low. She needs to go in the NICU now. And it was like, what? Like we had no clue what was happening because it just felt like it went from zero to 100 so fast. And we had just, you know, felt what was like jumped over the, what felt like the last hurdle, which was a C-section Again, NICU was never something that we considered, especially because they told us, oh, well, she's 37 weeks, like, that's full term, she won't have any NICU time, which I'm so sad that they, like, basically gave us that expectation because that was so not our story, and while it was probably meant to be encouraging, it just really set us up to have false expectations, and so that was so hard, especially for John because he had been with her for you know the first this is probably like 16 hours um and I remember it was harder on him I think than it was on me maybe because I was recovering and just kind of focused on that unfortunately but they took her they said oh she'll probably be in there like you know one day maybe two again giving us this expectation and saying like we'll just stabilize her blood sugar And I was just devastated and John was just devastated and it was frustrating because I really felt like unequipped when it came to breastfeeding. I didn't remember people checking on us really at all and whenever I would ask about breastfeeding the response was like yeah it's like not a big deal like she'll feed soon don't worry about it and again I think there were just some more balls that were dropped there. Um, unfortunately in our care and so one way though that the Lord did show up and I feel like is still so powerful is Flora started in like the main NICU for the first couple of days and then eventually moved up to what was still very much like a NICU floor but it was on the same floor as the maternity ward and they said it was for like less intense um, cases and there was a woman who was a nurse in when Flora was on the bottom floor, like in the more intense NICU initially. And she was so sweet. And she was like teaching me how to give Flora a bath. And uh, Flora had a feeding tube and it was so sad. And they had like pricked her little heel and just been doing so much stuff to her. And it was just so hard for me and again also just had you know my abdomen like cut open I'm not even walking really at this point they're like wheelchairing me around and I think she asked like where I was from or something like that I mentioned my connection to APU Azusa Pacific where I went to school and she said oh my husband used to work there he was in campus ministry I was like, oh, who's your husband? And she said, oh, his name is Pastor Woody. And I swear, I just like broke down in tears because while I never knew Pastor Woody like uh, one-on-one personally, he spoke so much in chapel and I had gone to so many chapels and I just felt so seen by the Lord. Like what are the odds that this woman is the wife of my 
campus pastor and it was so good to just feel like we had some sort of connection because again our family's not out here they cut off this hospital visitor policy and we just felt really alone and so that was just so special to to feel seen by Jesus in that way and she was such a great nurse and so kind um so yeah after a couple days Flora got moved up to this like main uh or I'm sorry not the main NICU it was like a less intense NICU floor and while that was great it was also really hard because they discharged me from the hospital around like four days but there was really nowhere for me to sleep they were sharing they were having babies share rooms and that was so hard because I was actually sharing a room with a mom who like kept talking to me and giving me random advice this was like her fourth child and while I know that the NICU is so hard and every parent processes things differently I frankly just did not want to talk to anyone or I wanted to like talk to my baby or pray or cry or listen to music and I did not want her to be telling me random advice and so I actually ended up uh, requesting that we switch rooms and thankfully they were very understanding and we ended up getting into our own room which was great but what was only supposed to be a couple days turned into two weeks. So Flora had jaundice that she got some treatment for and she also had a minor heart murmur that eventually we did a couple like follow-ups and that closed up on its own. Because she was breech, she had hip dysplasia a little bit because there was such low fluid and she was like stuck in this breech position. Her hips were just a little bit off and really the biggest thing was feeding issues because they had a feeding tube and they also were feeding her a bottle and she just was not really liking bottle feeding like she was not sucking well and we were working with a physical therapist who was so helpful both with her hips and with her feeding but she was just not feeding what they were wanting her to and I remember them saying that she had eaten enough there there were all these like markers that were so confusing because the doctors we would never know when they were coming and so we like pretty much never got to meet with doctors and so they would have to call us because I was at home at this point trying to recover and so I wasn't staying there around the clock because they didn't have a bed for me to sleep in. They just had a super uncomfortable chair which if you have had a c-section you know how hard it is to sit up in those early days and so I was really I just felt so torn because I wanted to bond with my baby but I also was like trying to desperately recover from this major surgery I couldn't drive myself because I was on these pain meds and we only have one car so John would have to drive me and also our hospital had a one parent only visiting policy in the NICU because of COVID so John would drive me to the hospital sit in the car in the parking lot because the lobby was closed for like eight hours and then we would come back home and I was pumping and it was just a crazy time but I remember one day they said that she had been eating enough consistently and then at 5 a.m. she had what's called apnea which is basically when a baby turns like a little bit blue and stops breathing for I think it's like 20 seconds or longer 
which is obviously really scary, but that basically reset the clock. And that was, again, so devastating, like reset the clock as far as her coming home. So there were just a lot of moments where we were being told by doctors or nurses like, yeah, she should be coming home like tomorrow or maybe the next day. And then it just kept getting pushed back. And I think at a certain point, we kind of felt like, I don't know if she really needs to be here. And I say that because I was breastfeeding and she was breastfeeding super well. Like by the end of the first week of her life, she totally got the hang of it. I was meeting with lactation consultants every day. They were awesome. And she was eating so much. But then they weren't doing any sort of test like weighing before and after to see what she was getting. And I was like, I really feel like I'm producing a lot. I was pumping so much and she was emptying me on each breast. And I was like, she's getting a lot of milk. And so basically what happened is I had the lactation consultants really advocating for me. And they're like, you know what? We should we should weigh Flora before a feed and then after a feed and then that's how we can see how many ounces she drank and so basically they told me that there was going to be some sort of test for 48 hours where I would be in the NICU with her alone the nurses would not take care of her they would not change her diapers they would not really do anything they would not feed her and I would breastfeed her on demand the whole time for 48 hours And if she gained a certain amount of weight, then we could go home. And I don't know if that's common. I really haven't talked to that many parents who have had this similar um, situation in the NICU. Now that I think about it more and more, I'm like, is that ethical? Maybe it is. I don't know. But it was very, very (laughs) mentally like not good for a fresh postpartum mom who's already struggling with like attachment issues and recovering from a c-section all sorts of things but I was so determined to get my baby out and so I did it and I remember feeling like this is so hard especially because again I'm like away from John I don't have a shower they don't let you eat in the NICU like it was just so hard But I did it and we got to bring her home and it just felt so good to like I was so grateful that the Lord sustained me during that time. It's so cool how he provides for us as moms through through milk like he gives us what we need. And I know that breastfeeding can be a sensitive subject, but I am so grateful that my breastfeeding experience really has been so positive with both of my girls and so easy and because both of my births have been very hard in different ways I'm just really grateful that he's been kind to me in that way that breastfeeding has um has gone well and been fairly easy and so yeah that was the end we left um when she was 39 weeks gestationally so that would have been April 8th so that was a Wednesday as well so all in all we were at the hospital every day for four weeks and again this is like right at the beginning of COVID and just a really hard time to feel um uncertain and unsupported and and that's not to say again we were very supported by our community and in many many ways um but it was hard that we couldn't really have people 
there physically with us. So I could get into postpartum as well. That's not really what this episode is about, but summarizing really fast, postpartum experience was also really hard because again, like C-section recovery is just so much and I didn't have a doula or anyone that I hired, um, which again changed whenever I had Juliet. And so we really were just sent home and told like, you know, we'll see you at your six-week follow-up. Um, but we were having lots of appointments for Flora to follow up on certain things. And I think now knowing what I know, since I've gone through so much healing in therapy and since I've had a completely different birth and postpartum experience with Juliet, I now know that I was not attached to Flora in a lot of ways. Whenever she would cry and want to eat, I was just bitter. I was like just wanting to do my own thing. I... Which I think at a certain level, it's like, okay, yeah, breastfeeding can be inconvenient. And that's that's one thing. But I just would like, uh, I can't believe she's hungry again. Like, I don't feel like I held her very much. And I very much wanted to present that I loved being a mom. But I remember feeling so sad and devastated. Like, is this it? Like, I don't know if this is what I signed up for. I, I don't feel, I don't love this. Like, I... I love her, I do, but it was just a really dark time in my life, and there was a lot of rage that came, there was a lot of sadness and anxiety, and um, I am so grateful that the Lord has pulled me out of it, but, but it was really hard, and I do think now that a lot of that could have been tied to the trauma that I experienced in birth. And so I found so much healing, again, through Jesus first and foremost, but with a therapist who uses a technique which is called EMDR. And I'm going to look this up right now because people always ask me what EMDR stands for. Okay, it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. I think if you would have told me like a couple months postpartum with Flora that I had experienced birth trauma or medical trauma, I would have been like, no, like that wasn't traumatic. But I think I've learned that trauma can come in different forms and in different like sizes even. A lot of therapists will call it big T trauma or little T trauma. And it was so helpful for me to be able to process through those feelings of being on bed rest and being so afraid and so bitter and then walking through NICU time and feeling so out of control and like I don't have any ability to make decisions for myself or my family I felt unsafe and so if you have walked through I mean really anything challenging in your life but specifically with medical trauma or with birth trauma, I just want to encourage you that there's so much hope and to find a provider who cares and who really wants to help you heal because it is so worth it. Even if it doesn't feel like it's affecting you in your daily life, I have noticed such a huge difference in how I think and how I interact with my family, specifically with my sweet daughter Flora since walking through EMDR with my amazing Christian therapist. 
So I know this episode was kind of a downer. Um, I don't know if you feel that way. I know it was a lot. It was pretty intense and I kind of am like leaving you on some sort of cliffhanger because next week's episode is going to be my daughter Juliet's birth story and I really just want to acknowledge that they were equally beautiful in different ways and I really don't think I ever would have called Flora's birth story beautiful sadly uh previously again before I feel like I was able to process and experience healing but now I really see her birth story as a catalyst for so much growth so much growth in me I mean that was really a a sort of rock bottom that I experienced and I mean I kept going for a while down 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 and my struggle with like mental health and even spiritual health but I feel like the Lord has used her birth so much in my life in my marriage in my walk with Jesus and in my motherhood journey and I'm grateful I'm glad it happened and I feel like now I'm even able to be more empathetic and supportive of friends who have experienced um, medical trauma, birth trauma, and and if I had just had this like absolutely perfect home birth experience right to begin with, I don't know, maybe it would have been harder for me to really love and be sensitive to friends who have had some of those really difficult birth situations. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening and for being here. If you don't already, please follow us on Instagram at Love in a Cottage Podcast. Feel free to message me and reach out there. And also, I would love if you would review the show on iTunes. It is so, so helpful in helping people find our show, which just means the world to me. So if you want to hear more about birth, about what the Lord has done in my life through birth. Then again, come back next week to hear the birth story of my daughter, Juliet. She was a home birth VBAC, which stands for vaginal birth after cesarean. And it was a dream birth. The Lord is so good, but there are some plot twists. (laughs) So I can't wait to share with you guys. Thank you again for listening and have a great week. See you soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of Love in a Cottage. I am so grateful you decided to join us today, and I hope you're going forward in your day feeling encouraged, understood, and inspired. If you like today's show, I would love to encourage you to share it with a girlfriend. You can also screenshot this episode and share it on your Instagram stories, which will help more like-minded women find our show. Speaking of Instagram, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and follow us? Because, guys, I promise we're super fun. (laughs) We share content there throughout the week about the show, and it's a great way to connect with fellow listeners and keep up with the guests that you might have heard. We also do fun quarterly giveaways and just share inspiring content. If you're looking for more connection, you can also join our Facebook group, which is linked in the show notes of every episode. There are weekly episode discussions, and it's a great way to find friends and listeners who might be in your area. And finally, if you'd like to support us, you can please write a review on iTunes because this will help boost our show so other like-minded women can find it. Your support means so much to me, you guys. Thank you again for being here. So grateful for you. We'll see you next week for another episode.